0: Since I've had the, the joyful burden uh, of preaching to, to my home church uh, on the Lord's Day, uh, but I'm always thankful for the opportunity. Uh, i thankful for Pastors Grant and Cameron uh, allowing me to, to teach their sheep, and I'm deeply grateful uh, for, for your support uh, and I know, that, uh, I know that Laura joins me in that appreciation of you all, and so it is good uh, to be together with you, and it is good to be the one that is preaching to you this morning. Uh, Pastor Grant is is out of town, uh, still visiting family after the holidays, uh, but we continue with the preaching, obviously, and we also continue with the book of Luke. Uh, and so we, we started our, our series in the Gospel of Luke just a few weeks ago and it allowed us to, to lead up to, to everything that, uh, that prepared for and then the birth of Jesus uh, at Christmas time. And so we have, we've seen that uh, but this isn't just a Christmas series. We're going to continue pressing on through all of Luke as we, as we read his narrative about, uh, about the life of, of ministry of Christ. And uh, we also see um, that uh, although Christmas Day might be over. Uh, we're still, in my opinion, at least still in this Christmas season, and especially given our text this morning, we're still in this this Christmas setting. Uh, because as we come to this middle section of Luke chapter two, Jesus is still a baby. So Christmas is not over yet. We still have this newborn baby Jesus, and uh, post Christmas season. It's very sad for me, so I'm just going to ask you to just stretch it out a little bit, uh, just uh, just for this these uh, this next these next few moments. Um, so as we as we look at this this uh, account, this story of of baby Jesus with uh, with Simeon and Anna, uh, some of you, however, uh, you've moved on from Christmas and you're looking forward to New Year's. Uh, you're excited about maybe a New Year's Eve party, um, maybe some of you are just excited to, uh, to leave the old year, you're ready for it to be done, um, maybe, maybe you're actually looking forward to something new starting, some of you might be making uh, New Year's resolutions, many of us will probably be starting again, another Bible reading plan to get through the Bible in a year. And uh, I've been listening to a lot of Christmas music uh, these past several months, and uh, I think I think my peers will appreciate this reference, especially for those that were in youth group with me, Uh, a a quote from the lyrics of the band Reliant K, uh, because, uh, and this this is part of their song talking about the coming of Christ, but it says, because here's where you're finding me in the exact same place as New Year's Eve, and from a lack of my persistency, we're less than half as close as I want to be. And I think for many of us, uh, that, that rings true, especially when we think about the grand scheme of things. and This, this big picture, this New Year's Eve, we're, we're kind of in the exact same place as last one. I mean, in the, in the grand scheme of things, that big picture, maybe not much has actually changed. Now, I, I hope that's not dis, uh, discouraging for you, and I want you to encourage the, the growth and, and the maturing of your faith But it seems like many of us find find ourselves at this time of a transition to a new year, uh, wondering what happened this past year, wondering what happened for these past 12 months. And uh, uh, the thing is, though, is that this morning, it's not just about transitioning from from Christmas to New Year's and starting to think about a new season of life. Uh, um, And in fact, it's not really about New Year's at all. It's not about New Year's resolutions, although those don't have to be a bad thing. This morning, and I think as we can see in all of life, is about God revealing himself through Scripture and in his Son and by the Spirit for his glory. And the great thing about realizing that everything is about God is you learn that it's not about you. And that is that is a very, uh, a very somber, very humble, but a very good place to start a new year. But that doesn't mean you're off the hook. When we realize that everything's about God, we realize that he has called us to live a certain way. As we focus on God, only then can we see who we are in light of him. As we focus on God, only then can we realize how he has called us to live as his creation and as followers of Christ. And so, in light of that, we're going to turn to Luke chapter two, and we're gonna see how, how we can live this way, how we can worship and glorify God by being obedient, by being faithful, by being expectant. Like, we're going to see those, those characteristics throughout, uh, throughout the, the narrative that we look at this morning. And then at the end, we'll come and see how, how that's going to apply to our lives. So, o- obedience, faithfulness, and then waiting expectantly. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 22. If you are using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 857. And uh, it is a longer passage, so Luke chapter, two, or Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22, going all the way through verse 40. having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. I just pray for our message this morning, Father. We thank you that you have that you have given us just your word, and you have called us together this morning. And just as we see in the story of Luke uh, that that he gives us. Uh, how, how there's, there's much foretelling and announcing and preparing the way for Christ. And we, we see this, uh, especially in John the Baptist, Father, uh, much more humbly. I want to, to echo uh, the, the words of John the Baptist that, uh, that Christ must increase and I must decrease. So, Father, I pray by your spirit that, that I would humbly come to, to preach this word to your people, that you have gathered in your church from your word for your glory, Father. And we pray all of this name in the name of Jesus. So when we when we come to the Bible, uh, we we recognize that this is it is completely true and sufficient. This is the word of God. This is this is our source as followers of Christ. This is why, this is why we do those, those Bible reading plans in a year. We want to soak up as much Scripture as possible. That's why we meditate on it. That's why we memorize it. We want to just drink it all in. So to try to help us do that, uh, I, I would like to, much like a washcloth, I just want to just wring this text out this morning. I just want to try to squeeze as much out of it as I can so we may, we may help to just soak in the truth of God's word and just begin to, to drink up every last drop. So there, is, there does seem a lot to be going on in this passage. So I really just want to walk through the passage and see exactly where we are and how this is pointing us to obedience, faithfulness, and waiting expectantly. So let's, let's just start by, by going through the passage and seeing where we're at. Um, most of us are, are probably really familiar with the first part of Luke chapter 2. Verses 1 through 20, that's the, that's the, uh, uh, the birth narrative of Jesus. Um, at the very least, you probably read it on your own. If not, hear it every year uh, at Christmas time in church. Maybe even some of us will read verse 21, where it talks about the circumcision of Jesus. That one gets a little bit weird when you're talking about his birth, but I think that's important. Um, however, when you switch over to verse 22, and you begin to read this account of Simeon and Anna... Uh, people kind of seem to, to forget it. Like I said, I don't think very many people even realize that we have another, another account of Jesus as a baby. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll learn here that he's only, um, well, he's, he's actually like 40 days old, if, uh, if we, we see that exactly from how the law gave us. So he's only barely over a month old. And it's kind of funny because at the end of Luke chapter 2, many people are familiar with that passage. This is the only time in Scripture where we see, uh, where we see uh, uh, the biblical authors write about Jesus as a little boy. So we see that in verse 41. We'll, we'll look at that next week. Uh, but this middle section of Luke chapter 2, uh, people seem to just overlook. And uh, um, I think it's important to, to, to continue that story, but also to know the context of the beginning of Luke. So, uh, so Jesus is born in this, this miraculous, glorious, humble way. He's surrounded by glorifying and praising and pondering. And in the midst of all this, Mary and Joseph and surely those around them, they're, they're probably aware of, of all these, these Old Testament pro- promises and prophecies. We looked at some of these examples with, with how Zechariah, what he said in his Benedictus and Mary, how she echoed the words of, of Hannah. So they're aware of these promises, these prophecies. But they're also aware of the law. Not just the promises from the Old Testament, but also the law. The law that was given from God to his people as they were leaving Egypt during the Exodus. The law tells them how they, as sinners, are supposed to live before this holy and righteous God. And so Luke seems to want to make this uh, very obvious. If we look at our text this morning, if you remember, we started in verse 22. And it says they they did everything according to the law of Moses. And then and we sort of see a book in at the other end of our passage in verse 39 it says, "They performed everything according to the law of the Lord." And we see several references throughout. So it seems that Luke wants to make this obvious that, that they're they are, uh, being obedient and faithful uh, to how God has called them to live uh, from his. Law And so as we, as we look at this account and as we see in verse 22, they're going to Jerusalem for, for purification and for presenting of this baby Jesus. It's helpful to look at the context from the Old Testament uh, that we'll find in Leviticus chapter 12 and also in Exodus chapter 13. So Leviticus 12, this is the, 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 the law that was given to the people. We see um, in uh, chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, Mary, then she shall be unclean seven days, as at the time of her menstruation she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised, Luke chapter 2, verse 21, then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. And then he gives uh, further instruction if a a daughter is born. And then we we jump to verse 6. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And it says that the priest will make atonement for her based off of these offerings, a lamb and then a pigeon or turtle dove. We also see a concession given in verse 8. If she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for the burnt offering and one for the sin offering. We actually see uh, Mary and Joseph do that, uh, potentially suggesting that they're of at least modest means, if not even uh, uh, lower than that. So, so we see that when it says in verse 22 that they are, they are going to Jerusalem uh, for their purification. This, this, is, this is mainly Mary. Mary is going to Jerusalem because she has been made uh, unclean. That doesn't mean she was sinful. She just happened to be made unclean according to the law that God had given his people. So they're heading to Jerusalem uh, to, offer this, uh, to offer the sacrifices, a pair of, of turtle doves, a pair of pigeons. But they're also heading up to Jerusalem, it says, uh, to, to present as holy to the Lord, the firstborn male. We see this reference in Exodus chapter 13. Uh, um, when, we, when we hear that phrase, firstborn I'm sure not very many of you, uh, I know myself wasn't until I studied, probably not very familiar with Leviticus 12. However, when you hear firstborn, you probably, when you're talking about the Bible, probably think of the book of Exodus. We think about the 10 plagues, and we think about Passover. And so this is where we, this is where our context finds us for, for consecrating this, this baby boy, Jesus, to the Lord. In Exodus chapter 13, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all firstborn." Whatever it is, the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast shall be mine. So this is, this is a, a, as a way of, of remembering and, and, and commemorating, but also as a, as a way of, of a reminder of what God has done for his people. Remember that 10th and final plague in Egypt was the death of the firstborn in all the land. And so as a way to remember what God has done uh, he says that, uh, that all firstborn males should be consecrated unto me. And this isn't just like a, a, a merely a symbolic act. This isn't just something that God wanted them to do just one generation after. But rather, this is a defining moment for the Israelites. God commands them to continue to do this and to pass it down to their children, generation after generation. If we just skip down a few verses in Exodus chapter 13, we see God explain it this way in verse 15. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, this is, this is actually, he says, the, the parents of the father telling his children what happened. Uh, when he refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem should be as a mark on your head or frontlets between your eyes for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Their, their consecration, their, their presenting of this baby boy is a way of reminding them that God is their redeemer and that God is their deliverer. And it's in that same context of the Exodus that they get the law right after they leave and in the wilderness in Mount Sinai they get the law. So all of this is the context of this is who the Israelites are. Of all things, this is how they are defined, as God's people redeemed by him and given the law to live for him and then in his land. We see later as we go to the promised land. So that's what's going on with Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus. And uh, this isn't necessarily abnormal. Uh, They they didn't make it up. uh, As we saw, Luke tells us, again, we saw these bookends, that, that they are performing everything according to the law of the Lord. And we can see here just a first example of obedience. Joseph and Mary, in the midst of this glorious, miraculous birth of Christ, maintain obedience to the law of the Lord. They know that it's special. Clearly, they've seen how, how this, is, this, is, this is a marvel. And they, they, Mary ponders these things. They know it's special, but they remain obedient to the law of the Lord because this is how God has called them to live. And friends, we ought to do the same. We should be be marked by our obedience to our God. He has told us how to live. For all of us, he is our creator. So, So we owe him our allegiance, whether you want to or not. But for many of us that call ourselves Christ followers, we are called to be holy as God is holy. We are called to live like Christ. The Spirit sanctifies us, making us more and more holy, more and more like Christ. And so we, too, ought to obey how God has called us to live. We see this first mark there, obedience. And then next in in our narrative enters Simeon. Uh, We don't know much about Simeon, uh, especially not as much as we do about the situation with Jesus. Uh, But everything that we need to know, Luke gives us. Uh, we see that just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, he is described as a, as a righteous man. This is the same way that Luke describes Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, Luke also describes Simeon as as uh, as righteous and devout. So he is he's walking blameless before the commandments of the Lord. He's a, he's a committed Israelite. Right? He, people can tell his his devotion to to God and to his country, to his people, Israel, and also to the law. Um, And so he's a committed Israelite, he's righteous, he's devout, he's following God, and and all of these culminate in believing the promises that God has given to his people. And for Simeon, believing those promises means that you're going to live and act a different way. And I think think, uh, uh, Simeon is a good example of, of faithfulness in that way. So Luke is going to use this, this same word, devout, he's going to use it three other times later in the book of Acts, and all of it refers to Jews who knew the law and who believed in the Messiah. So I think this is, this is, a, good, this is a good characteristic as we look at Simeon. But uh, Simeon also gets uh, uh, some further descriptions. Uh, we see that Simeon's righteous, he's devout, he's, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Okay, this is, that, uh, this, this is that, uh, uh, that devotion spilling out into to belief, spilling out from belief into, into action. What he's doing and how he lives, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And we see Luke also describe him as uh, that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so if we look at these two things, the consolation or, or comfort, uh, of Israel. This is what Simeon is waiting on. This is what he's expecting. Uh, we we learn about this from the prophet Isaiah. So we're actually going to look at that just a little bit later. Uh, but that's what, he's, that's what he's waiting on. He's waiting on those promises of the comfort for Israel. And then Luke's reference to the Holy Spirit, which is actually a key, three, key theme all throughout Luke's writings, both in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts, uh, we see that this is a, a description for Simeon, again, similar to that of earlier, uh, other, earlier characters in the passage, both Elizabeth and Zechariah are are described as being filled with the Spirit. Even John the Baptist, uh, the unborn baby, little boy in utero, he is described as being filled with the Spirit. Mary is described as the Holy Spirit coming upon her. So so Luke uses uses that that description of the Spirit to connect all of this together, to connect all these different parts of the story together. But he also uses the Spirit as as a way to move the story along. Because we see that uh, the Holy Spirit is one who, who brings about all of these events that happen in our passage. If we, uh, if we look at verse 27, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. Where Simeon is not described as, as, a, as a priest. He, he's not described as one who's having a role to play that he would regularly be at the temple. He doesn't seem to have any sort of official capacity there. But he is moved and filled with the Spirit to be at the temple at that time when Joseph and Mary are also going to the temple for purification and for consecration. So the Spirit is guiding and leading all of these things together. And the Spirit leads him to the temple where he may see this baby Jesus. And again, we see his example of faithfulness. He is faithful to live and and, and to wait for these promises. He's faithful to know the promises and the prophecies that that God has given to his people in Scripture. And he's also faithful uh, to respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit. He's faithful to walk as God has called him to walk. And this is an example of faithfulness. So, Even though Jesus' birth was, again, obviously special uh, to Mary and Joseph, they're just acting according to the law of the Lord, and the Spirit leads Simeon up to this baby, Jesus. Luke doesn't tell us if Simeon asked Mary or Joseph about the baby. Um, One would hope so. He didn't just come up and snatch the little boy. Uh, But the cool thing is, even if he did ask, Mary and Joseph would have said, yes, this is the Lord's child. This is the promised king of David. His name is the Lord saves. If you're looking for him, he's right here. We don't, know if, we don't know if Simeon did that. But either way, it seems like Simeon sees this baby. The spirit reveals to him who he is. And then just as like we've seen numerous times in the book of Luke, we see this, this, this overflow, this outflowing of Praise. And this is one of my favorite things in the Bible. We saw this with Mary, right? She sees the, the, the witness and the testimony of, uh, of, um, of Elizabeth. And then she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. We also see this with, with Zechariah, having been, uh, uh, his mouth shut, having been silent, mute for uh, like at least nine months. And then he sees everything come to fruition and, he's, and he sees the, the faithfulness of the Lord. And he says, blessed be the God of, of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. We're studying First Peter in, in Sunday school and Peter does this at the beginning of his letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite examples is in the book of Romans. Paul just expounds for 11 chapters this deep, rich truth of who God is and how he has saved his people. And it's like he can't help it. He just says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That's what Zechariah does. He's been waiting. The Holy Spirit is on him. And he, in in faithful obedience, responds and, and prays to God. It says that he blesses God. And the song that we see Simeon sing is actually a part of, uh, of these four songs that we've seen throughout the birth narrative. We saw Mary's Magnificat, Zechariah's Benedictus. We, seen, we see the, the angel's song. "It's have glory to God of the highest. And now we see Simeon's song. Uh, it also has a Latin name, uh, Nunc Dimittis," uh, which also comes from the first line of the song. Uh, I'm not going to say that again. It means that now you may dismiss. So he's referring to now you may dismiss me, Lord, I may depart. Um, And when I was first reading this, um, you know, it's not very well known, and I didn't think it sounded as cool as the others, Uh, but then I realized a couple of things. Uh, One, I shouldn't compare Bible verses based on how cool I think they are. Uh, And two, the meaning behind Simeon's statement is life-changing, literally. We saw earlier that Simeon would not see death until he had seen the Christ, the, the, the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, okay? This isn't a, this isn't a new character in, the, in the, the, the story arc of the Bible. This has been from the beginning. There's this, there's this promised one coming. He would not see death until he had seen the Christ. And now he says, my eyes have seen the Lord's salvation. So, so in seeing that, now he says, "Now now you can take me, Lord. Now I may depart. Do you get it? Based off these statements, most people assume that Simeon is, is an older man. Uh, which is fine. That's a fine assumption. Uh, In fact, it actually kind of fits the trend. Elizabeth and Zechariah were really old. Anna is described as being old, so perhaps Simeon is old as well. And in fact, I think that's a really cool picture of seeing their faithful obedience to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and we see this young couple and this newborn baby ushering in the fulfillment of that Old Covenant with the new one. So I think it's a really cool illustration if Simeon is old, along with the rest of the characters in the story. And if he is... And then and this, is, this is, he's, he's at the, the last stage of his life. And, then, and Simeon is saying, when he sings this song, this is what I have been waiting for. Nothing else in all my years compares to this moment. Nothing else even mattered compared to this moment. Now I may die and die in peace because I have seen it all. As the saying goes, this is all I needed in life, the old Simeon might say. But even if he was a younger man, it's just as powerful for him to be a younger man with not as much experience, not seen as much, and he says, nothing else ever is going to top this. Imagine a young man saying that, saying, I could die right now and be at peace I don't need to see anything else. I don't need to experience anything else. I don't need to hear anything else. This is it. This is all I need for my life. So regardless of, of where Simeon is in his, in his age, uh, this is a powerful statement. Uh, now, now I may depart in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation, Lord. This is, this is huge. This, this, this literally would, would turn your world upside down. And actually, I think that's the point. Because if we, if we look at all the other songs and we look at Simeon's, we see that, that more so than the other songs, Simeon begins to bless God for salvation that comes through Jesus, both to Israel and to the Gentiles. This is not only life-changing for Simeon and indeed for all of us, this is world-changing. This coming promised king He's not only going to fulfill all the Old Testament to to redeem Israel, but he's going to open this salvation to the world, to all Gentiles. Now let's look at Isaiah. I said Simeon was referring to Isaiah earlier. Now let's look at Isaiah in in, uh, chapter 40. We see at the beginning of of that chapter, he says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Remember, he's waiting on the consolation of Israel, the the comfort of Israel. But then if we skip down a few verses in Isaiah chapter 40 to verse 5, and it says, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We can see this comfort that, that God offers his people is coming for all people. God's glory has been revealed for salvation for all. We read Isaiah uh, passages or parts of Isaiah chapter 52 earlier, uh, earlier in the service where we, where we see the comfort that he offers them. And then we see how the Lord, how the, how the Lord uh, uh, bears his holy arm. He displays his might to all the nations, uh, that, so that they may see the salvation of God. That's Isaiah 52. We also see Isaiah 49. Uh, this, is, this is one of my favorites when he's, he's speaking and he's talking to Isaiah. He says, it is, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. He said, for me, what is that? Just Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations, and my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That is how strong and mighty our God is, that He offers salvation to all the Jews and the Gentiles, and that is an example of waiting expectantly. We, we see Zechariah waiting, or uh, excuse me, Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel, and then he sees that fulfillment in Christ. Salvation has come. Let's continue to walk through the passage. As with the rest of the story, Jesus' parents, Mary in particular, they're left in, in, in wonder. They're, they're pondering. They're marveling at all these things. Uh, as, as, I mean, these aren't just spoken in general. They're, they're literally like said about this specific baby boy. So they're just like, what is what is going on? But maybe for the first time in Luke, we see a glimpse of some bad news mixed in with this good news. So after Simeon uh, sings his song. He speaks to Mary and Joseph. It says first he blesses God, and then in verse thirty three he, he he blesses Mary and he speaks to them, and he says uh, he says that some will be some will be raised up, and, and some will fall, and this will be this will be a message of opposition, and it will receive opposition. So although some will be raised up, this this will also be the downfall of many, and it's going to. Uh, uh, it's going to be hard even for Mary. It says a sore child pierce her soul, right? This, this baby boy who she has uh, she given birth to, her firstborn, um, she is going to, to, to watch his, his death on the cross, right? This is going to be hard for her as well. And, uh, and we see that uh, Simeon also, he continues to refer to these same promises and these same prophecies that we saw Zechariah and, and Elizabeth refer back to, Uh, But now there's just a little bit of a wider picture as we see that some will respond in obedience and some will respond in disobedience. And uh, and Peter gives us a really good summation of, of all of that. Peter, also referencing some of Isaiah, he says in the second chapter of his first letter, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And so, so all this, is, all this is, is just a glimpse into perhaps this bad news that comes with this coming king. And I think that's, that's a pretty accurate depiction. We see a new king, a new ruler come in. You either pay your allegiance to him or you don't. So this is a new king, a new ruler that is coming in. And so this kind of wraps up everything that happens around Jesus' Jesus's birth. And so there's the preparing the way through John the Baptist. There's the foretelling of his birth. There's the announcement of it. And, uh, and, and through all of this, we see what this means. As we look at the, uh, chapter 1 and the beginning part of chapter 2, Simeon gives us a little bit more of the implications of his birth, not just who Jesus is, but what is going to happen because of this. And then uh, at, at the end of verse 35, uh, Simeon, when he's talking to Mary, he says that the hearts of many will be revealed. And I think that is where Luke introduces Anna, We see Anna as an example of of everything that we have read. And indeed, we see Anna as an example of someone whose heart is being revealed, the thoughts of her hearts are being revealed. And in Anna, we see a pretty good summation of the entire passage as we look at her obedience, her faithfulness, and her expectancy, her waiting expectantly for the Lord. And so I don't wanna go into as much detail uh, with Anna as as I did with with Simeon. Uh, In fact, there's not as much there. Uh, All we need to know is that, remember, Luke is writing a a historic and orderly account, and so he gives some detail about Anna that he believes are pertinent that probably sets her up to be a legitimate witness as other people are reading this. So that's important to think about. Um, I think what's, uh, what's more important than how Anna is described is, that what, she is what she is doing. Uh, night and day, without departing, she was fasting and worshiping and waiting for redemption. Not just for her, but for all Jerusalem. Waiting for the redemption of that great, that great city where the Messiah King would come to rule again. And uh, it's interesting, the passage actually never says that Anna meets Jesus. Perhaps it's implied, and and that's fine. Uh, Maybe that's why she was giving thanks. All it says is that at that very hour, she came up giving thanks, worshiping and fasting and and speaking to those uh, about this redemption. Maybe this is actually just what she did every day. And this is just a small example, a small glimpse into the providence of God. How the very thing that she and others were waiting for was happening right there, that very hour. So we too see her obedience as she comes to, uh, as she comes to to worship God, uh, to to fast uh, in this 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 faithfulness in who she is called to be. We know that she is a Jew as how it describes her and where, what her history is. We also see her uh, just waiting, waiting for the redemption of Israel. And just like Simeon, this isn't just like a passive waiting. This is an expectancy. They're, she's really waiting. She's telling others. She said, hey, remember, we have to wait for this. This is going to happen. So we see her obedience, her faithfulness, and uh, her waiting and then in verses 39 and 40 as we come to kind of the end of our passage it seems like Luke is just sort of using this to to transition into another story about Jesus but as I've already said it looks like Luke is trying to show Christ as the fulfillment of the law when we saw those bookends in verses 22 and verse 39 but we also see that the that when he uses verses 39 and 40 the story doesn't stop there right it keeps going. It says that, uh, that uh, they performed everything according to the law. They returned to Galilee. They returned to Nazareth. And then the child grew, became strong, filled with wisdom. The favor of God was upon him. So the story of Jesus doesn't stop there. It's going to continue going. And, uh, and so I, I asked you earlier to, to sort of stretch out Christmas just a little bit when we were talking about this, this baby Jesus Uh, But in fact, I don't want Christmas to end at all. Not just because of the music and the decorations, but because in the incarnation, the coming of God, we have the good news. We have redemption because he came. Jesus came to be born as a baby so he may die as a man. The cradle gives way to the cross we've looked at this kind of lengthy passage. I just want to quickly go over it again with just a little bit different lens. You see, just like in verses 22 through 24, Jesus, at a later time, would obediently be going up to Jerusalem. And he would be going up to Jerusalem for purification, according to the law of Moses. But he wouldn't be going as a baby. He wouldn't be going to be called holy to the Lord. He would be going as the sacrifice. He would be going as the lamb that would receive the penalty for sin, that would be punished for the the sins and the uncleanness of those around him. Jesus, son of the most high, would go to die on the cross for our sins in our place. And then, just like Simeon, after Jesus' death, there's going to be another man. And Luke, in chapter 24, he calls him righteous, and it says that he's waiting on the kingdom of God, just like Simeon was. But this time, it's Joseph Joseph of Arimathea. And just like Simeon goes up to, to hold this baby boy, Jesus, because he has seen the salvation, Joseph of Arimathea, he goes up to Pilate and he he takes the body of Jesus because he has seen the salvation of the Lord because his Christ has come to die as the lamb. And just like Anna, there's going to be faithful, obedient women at the tomb and they're gonna follow his body and they're gonna prepare spices for his burial because they, just like Anna, are waiting expectantly. See, Luke is telling us this story because he knows that the whole reason Jesus came was to point forward to what Jesus came to do. Jesus is this perfect man, perfect God man, and he came to live that perfect life so that he may die a death that he did not deserve, but we most certainly do. And because of his death on the cross, we may have life. Just like the priest offers atonement for those who are unclean and sinful, Christ comes as the sacrifice and as the priest to offer atonement for us. And we must respond in faith and repentance. Or perhaps as we come to a close this morning, just like we have seen with Simeon and with Anna, with Mary and Joseph, we should respond in obedience, faithfulness, and expectant waiting. So how does that, what does that look like? Well, children, obey your parents. That's how God has called you to be obedient where you are. Obey your parents. And parents, make your children obey you. That's that's how God has called you to be obedient where you are. And husbands and wives, be obedient to live as God has called you to live, as as loving one another and serving one another. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians. Ephesians. Be be obedient to how he has called you to live as a Christian. And so study his word, just like Simeon and Anna knew those promises and those prophecies. Study his word to be obedient to the law. And be faithful. Obey by being faithful. Be faithful where God has called you. So again, maybe some of you, you're waiting for this new year. Yeah, 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 Andrew, I'll be, I'll be faithful on like January 1st. I need like a new beginning. Well, God hasn't put you in January 1st yet. So be faithful where you are now. Be faithful as parents to, to love and to raise your children. Be faithful as, 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 as spouses to, to care for and to, just like you do with your children, preach to them the gospel. Maybe you don't have children, you don't have spouses. How has God called you to be faithful to those around you? Are you using this time to be faithful in your church? Are you using this time to be faithful to, to, to your friends? Just because you don't have children doesn't mean you can't teach and raise others up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Be faithful where God has called you at work. Yeah, but Andrew, I really want, this, I really want a different job. I really want a, a, a promotion, Be faithful where God has called you. And I hope you don't hear me saying that flippantly. That can be hard to hear, and I can understand that. But God has called you to be faithful. And if I may humbly speak to my older brothers and sisters, those mature saints in the faith, maybe you don't have kids, maybe your spouse is gone, you don't have that job, be obedient and, and just treasuring what God has given you throughout your life. Be obedient and, and continue to soak up the word. Don't be, don't be complacent where he, has, where he has put you. I mean, you may have grown all your years. Don't stop now. Pick up the word again and be faithful where he has called you. Maybe In that retirement, you 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 have you have some free time. How can you be faithful with that time? Be a good steward of that. And maybe it's grandkids and 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 maybe it's family, maybe it's neighbors. How can you be faithful where he has called you? And 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 finally, and this is this is a message that must that must be just the theme of 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 all of our lives. And this is a this is this is a message that uh, Has to come when we study Christmas, when we study the the first advent, the first coming of Jesus. We have to recognize that He is coming again. So wait expectantly for that return. And in so doing, that should spur you to obedience and faithfulness. Wait expectantly. For that return, that you may in a bigger and more realized way see the salvation of the Lord to all peoples. We wait expectantly, like Anna did, telling others, He's coming again. We have a king. So, friends, Christ has come and He has called you to obedience. He's called you to faithfulness. And friends, he's coming again, and we are to wait for our coming king. Let's pray. Oh, Father, only from your word and by your spirit may we be obedient and faithful. And so I pray that you would continue to work Continue to to move in us now that we may strive to be obedient only by your grace. We may long to be faithful according to your word. And Father, shape our lives even from this very moment to wait for the coming of our King. And wait expectantly to tell others about him. May you be glorified in this, in Jesus' name.